Part five, chapter twenty two of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Kane. Part five, chapter twenty two. Pete got down to walk up the hill, but Philip, though he made some show of alighting also, was glad of the excuse to remain in his seat. It relieved him of Pete's company for a while, at all events. He had time to ask himself again why he was there, where he was going to, and what he was going to do. But his brain was a cloudy waste. Only one picture emerged from the maze. It was that of the burial of the nameless waif in the grave at the foot of the wall. If he was conscious of any purpose, it was a vague idea of going to that grave. But it lay ahead of him only as an ultimate goal. He was waiting and watching for an opportunity of escape. If it came, God be praised. If it did not come, God help and forgive him. Meanwhile, Pete walked behind and caught fragments of a conversation between the girl and Crow. So you're going to meet himself coming home, miss, eh? My faith, how'd you know that? But it's yourself for knowing things, Mr. Crow. Has he been sailing foreign? Yes, sir. And nine months away for a week come Monday but spoken at Hollyhead in Tuesday's paper, and paid off in Liverpool yesterday. That's his initials, if you want to know. J.W. I worked them on the pouch myself. I've spun him a web for a jacket, too. Sweethearting with the minor fellows while Jemmy's been away? Have I, do you say? How people will be talking. Oh, no offence at all, but sorry you're not keeping another string to your bow, missy. These sailor lads aren't particular anyway. Bless your heart, no, but getting as tired of one sweetheart as a pig of brewer's grain. Constant? Chut. When the like of that sort is away foreign, he lays up of the first girl he comes foul of. The girl laughed and shook her head bravely, but the tears were beginning to trickle from her eyes, and the hand that held the flowers was trembling. Don't listen to the man, my dear, said Pete. There's too much comic in these old bachelor bucks. Your boy is dying to get home to you. Go bail on that, Emma. The packet isn't making halfway enough for him, and he's bad dreadful wanting to ship aloft and let out the topsail. At the crest of the hill, Pete climbed back to Philip's side and said, The heart's a queer thing, sir. Got its winds and tides same as anything else. The wind blows contrary ways in one day, and it's the same with the heart itself. Changeable? Well, maybe. We shouldn't be too hard on it for all. If I'd only known now, she wasn't much better than a child when I left for Kimberley. And then what was I? I was only common stuff anyway, not much fit for the likes of herself, when you think of it, sir. If I'd only guessed when I came back. I could have done it, sir. I was loving the woman like life. But if I'd only known now, well, and what's love if it's thinking of nothing but itself? If I'd thought she was loving another man by the time I came home, I could have given her up to him. Yes, I could. I'm persuaded I could. So help me God, I could. Philip was wasting on that journey like a piece of wax. Pete saw his face melting away till it looked more like a skeleton than the face of a man really alive. You mustn't be taking it so bad at all, Phil, said Pete. She'll be middling right where she's gone to, sir. She'll be right enough yonder, he said, rolling his head sideways to where the sun was going round to its setting. And then softly, as if half afraid she might not be, he muttered into his beard, 
God be good to my poor broken-hearted girl, and forgive her sins for Christ's sake. An elderly gentleman got on the coach at Onken. Hello, a deemster, he cried. You look as sober as an old crow. Sober, old crow, ha-ha. He was a facetious person of high descent in the island. Crow never goes home without getting off the box once or twice to pick up the moonlight on the road, do you, Crow? That'll do, parson, that'll do, roared Crow, and then his reverence leaned across the driver and directed the shaft of his wit at Philip. And how's the young housekeeper, Deemster? Philip shuddered visibly and made some inarticulate reply. Good-looking young woman, they're telling me. Gemma Lord's got taste, seemingly. But take care, Your Honour, take care. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife, nor his ox, nor his ass. Philip laughed noisily. The miserable man was writhing in his seat. Take an old fiddler's advice, Deemster. Have nothing to do with the women. When they're young, they're kittens to play with you. But when they're old, they're cats to scratch you. Pete twisted his body until the whole breadth of his back blocked the parson from Philip's face. A fortnight ago, you were saying, sir? A fortnight, muttered Philip. There'll be daisies growing on her grave by this time, said Pete softly. The parson had put up his nose-glasses. Who's this fellow, Crow? Captain, what? His honour's cousin? Cousin? Oh, of course, yes, I remember. Tinwald. Ah, hm. The coach set down its passengers in the marketplace. Pete inquired the hour of its return journey, and was told that it started back at six. He helped the girl to alight and directed her to the pier where a crowd of people were awaiting the arrival of the steamer. Then he rejoined Philip, who led the way through the town. The deemster was observed by everybody. As he passed along the streets there was much whispering and nudging, and some bowing and lifting of hats. He responded to none of it. He recognised no one. He who was famous for courtesy, renowned for gracious manners, beloved for a smile like sunshine, the brighter and more winsome when it broke as from a cloud, returned no man's salutation that day, and replied to no woman's greeting. His face was set hard like a marble mask. It passed along without appearing to see. Pete walked one step behind. They did not speak as they went through the town. Not a word or a sign passed between them. Philip turned into a side street and drew up at an iron gate which opened onto a churchyard. They were at the churchyard of St. George's. This is the place, said Philip huskily. Pete took off his hat. The gate was partly open. It was Saturday, and the organist was alone in the church practising hymns for Sunday service. They passed through. The churchyard was an oblong enclosure within high walls, overlooked on its long sides by rows of houses. One of these rows was Athol Street, and one of the houses was the Deemsters. It was late afternoon by this time. Long shadows were cast eastward from the tombstones. The horizontal sunlight was making the leaves very light. Philip walked noisily, jerkily, irregularly, like a man conscious of weakness and determined to conquer it. Pete walked behind, so softly that his foot on the gravel was hardly to be heard. The organist was playing Cooper's familiar hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. There was a broad avenue bordered by railed tombs leading to the church door. 
Philip turned out of this into a narrow path which went through a bare green space that was dotted with pegs of wood and little unhewn slabs of slate, like an abandoned coit ground. At the farthest corner of this space he stopped before a mound near to the wall. It was the new-made grave. The scars of the turf were still unhealed, and the glist of the spade was on the grass. Philip hesitated a moment and looked round at Pete, as if even then, even there, he would confess. But he saw no escape from the mesh of his own lies, and with a deep breath of submission he pointed down, turned his head over his shoulder, and said in a strange voice, There. The silence was long and awful. At length Pete said in a broken whisper, Lave me, sir, lave me. Philip turned away, breathing audibly. A moment longer Pete stood where he was, gripping his hat with both hands in front of him. Then he went down on his knees. Oh, forgive me my hard thoughts of thee, he said. Jesus, forgive me my hard thoughts of my poor Kiri. Philip heard no more. The organ was very loud and triumphant. Deep in unfathomable minds, of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. A red shaft of sunlight tipped down on Pete's uncovered head from the top of the wall. The blessed tears had come to him. He was sobbing aloud. He was alone with his love at last. He was alone with her indeed. At that moment Kate was looking down from the window of her room. She saw him kneeling and praying by another's grave. Philip never knew how he got out of the churchyard. He crawled out, creeping along by the wall, and slinking through the gate, heart sick and all but heart dead. When he came to himself he was standing in Athol Street, and a company of jolly fellows in a jaunting car, driving out of the golden sunset, were rattling past him with shouts and peals of laughter. End of Part 5 Chapter 22